The reading is taken from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, which can be found on page 1043 of the Church Bibles. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into, into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven and a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been, been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles God has granted repentance even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be ours today from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to start with a story this morning. And in short order, I'll connect the dots to what this story has to do with the reading we've just heard. I was asked at 8.45 if I might clarify that the story you're about to hear is not about Mother Teresa, but about a different Saint Therese. Saint Therese of Lisieux, also known as Saint Therese of the Child Jesus, or simply as the Little Flower, grew up in the late 1800s. In her later years, she wrote one of the most loved and read books on Christian spirituality that's ever been written. The book's called The Story of a Soul. She was venerated as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church faster than any other person in the history of Christianity. And impressive as all that may be, it didn't start easy for her. From the age of 14, she became overwhelmed with the desire to become a nun, to take her holy vows, and spend her life in the Carmel of Lisieux, an abbey in the Normandy region of France. Her heart was set on drawing closer to Jesus and on praying for priests. For that last part, I owe her my deepest gratitude, as I often call on her help and guidance in times of spiritual dryness. Yes, clergy also experience times where it's hard to pray. Take comfort in knowing that. 
I mention Therese because even though the end result of her faith has had a dramatic impact on the way many Christians pray and approach their relationship with God in the last 120 years, she started out fighting an uphill battle. One like Peter has been fighting in today's reading. One that meant overcoming the bias of others, overturning social norms, taking risks that left her completely exposed to the criticism and skeptical nature of others. We'll get on to Peter's story in a minute. Though supported in her calling by her father and her older sister, who was already a nun at Carmel of Lisieux, Therese ran into op opposition because of her young age from the mother prioress, who was the head of the abbey, as well as from her bishop and her bishop's second in command, who was kind of like a DDO in our system. After some very difficult meetings and everyone stepping on what God felt, what she felt God was asking of her, Therese took it upon herself during a pilgrimage to Rome, during a meeting with Pope Leo XIII, to fall at his feet and tell his holiness of the desire of her heart to enter Carmel. Bursting into tears, pouring her heart out to the Pope, and eliciting a reaction nobody had ever seen from Leo XIII, where he spoke comforting words to her and embraced her before sending her on her way. She went away from that event empty-handed and heartbroken. However, the next year she received word at 15 years old that she would be admitted to Carmel and made a full member of the community. She died nine years later at the age of 24, but her memoirs live on and continue to inspire millions of people today, including me. I tell this story because it outlines the exact type of opposition Peter faced in this calling that he had to minister to the Gentiles, which occurs in the book of Acts. What if Teresa's bishop and prioress had not changed their minds? What if Peter had not changed the minds of the Jews who were questioning him for eating with Gentiles? Fortunately, in both cases, God stepped into the hearts of those who carried preconceived notions, notions of the way it's always been done, and he changed their perspective. For our good, and for the good of the whole Christian church in all places. Our passage picks up today from just after Peter's first success with the Gentiles in Caesarea. Peter comes back to Jerusalem to find out that the news of his success with the Gentiles has already reached the Jewish elite, the people in this passage referred to as the circumcision. And Peter has no desire to hide it, even though he knew many Jewish Christians would be confused and offended, he wasn't going to keep his success in converting Gentiles from them. Peter must have realized something that we're still learning. 
Sometimes what God asks us to do and how he achieves it, those things don't look anything like what we expect. And sometimes that makes other people uncomfortable. The Jews who confront Peter are hurt, and some of them are even angry. You, who are supposed to be a faithful Jew, you went and associated with Gentiles and even ate with them? At this point in the story, we have to remember that sharing a meal together was a special sign of fellowship in that culture. And Peter would have been greeted by the same kind of cynicism we might have upon logging into Facebook and finding pictures that David and Linda had posted documenting their attendance of a Saturday night Iron Maiden concert at the O2 Arena in Greenwich. <laughs> now, to the best of my knowledge, I'm making this part up purely as a contemporary example, but David and Linda might tell you otherwise. Or perhaps I'm even speaking a prophetic word, but that's up to God to decide. Now, certainly, there'd be some curiosity and confusion surrounding the conversations that would pop up in here the next morning. Even more so when we learn that David spoke to the members of the opening band and shared a pint with them. Just before a long, heartfelt discussion that led each and every one of them to faith in Jesus Christ. But that would be us being more concerned about David's actions than what God was doing with those people. In today's reading, the Jewish Christians are doing Peter and God the same disservice. But Peter's response is where the crucial message of this story lies. Peter graciously and lovingly explained the occurrence of his eating with the Gentiles to them. He didn't flaunt his apostolic authority or remind them all that he was one of Jesus' twelve and that surely he knew what he was doing. Instead, he humbly placed himself at the center of the confusion and he explained the whole ordeal precisely as it happened and in great detail, right down to his vision from God, which, let's be honest, sounded pretty weird. A sheet being lowered from heaven with all these animals on it. How's he going to link this to why he ate with Gentiles? Then the penny drops. The Jews in Peter's company realize that Peter has learned a thing or two from the company of his master, Jesus. He's telling a story about food, but the food isn't exactly the point. Even Peter may not have realized at first that that vision wasn't all about food. But through revelation, Peter came to understand the vision of the sheet and the kosher and unkosher animals had to do with people more than food. It was alluded to back in chapter 10, verse 28, which says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. There's a sense here where the sheep may just represent the church. Having both kosher or Jewish and unkosher or Gentile offerings on it with no distinction between the two. The Jew and the Gentile being equal 
As Peter continues on, he tells the Jews of entering the house to the presence of angels and a distinct moment of the Holy Spirit descending on all who were present, making it clear to these Christian Jews that they could not withhold their acceptance when God has already given his. And so like that, Peter's mission was forged in the fire of holy confrontation. It was blessed by God and used as a blessing to the Jewish Christians in shaking the foundations of their preconceived notions. How Peter convinced the church in Jerusalem to take stock of their prejudice against the uncircumcised is a template for us as we seek to sort through our own understanding of who deserves the grace and love of God. This is something we should be daily reminding ourselves of. That Christ came to the earth and died on a cross so that everybody could have access to his kingdom and that through his resurrection, any person, regardless of their past ills and sins, could be forgiven and elevated into his loving arms. That's our challenge today and every day, to love like Peter, regardless of what other people are going to think. Peter loved like Christ loves us. He went to a place his peers wouldn't dream of being caught dead. He shared intimate company with people his own friends would have looked down on. And he took a bunch of other people on this mission with him. Let's not forget that. There were six others. Then again, let us also remember that Peter's master was questioned in his choices, in his allegedly dodgy behavior when he ate with tax collectors and sinners, when he forgave prostitutes and talked to beggars who were thought to be ritually unclean, Peter learned a lot about obedience to God's call. He didn't get it right the first time, and in fact, he got it wrong three times in one evening when he was standing in the temple court as Jesus was persecuted. But even that failing on his own part didn't stop God from using him to reach others with Christ's love. We're in a time within this church where we need to cast aside our own preconceived notions. Notions of how we've always done things. Notions of who we are as a church. Notions that the vicar will sort everything out for us. Notions that we will even have a vicar again in any short order. Or that the person appointed is going to do anything in a way that we're familiar with or comfortable with. Notions that we can just sit in here on a Sunday morning and God will make the community come to us. Things are changing. They changed for the church in Jerusalem too. For the better. To reach out to the world outside the walls of their own small community and declare to everyone everywhere that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. 
That was their mission some 2,000 years ago, and it is also our mission today. Can we let go of our preconceived notions? Can we let God show us what's next for this church and for this community? Our God is a God who calls uneducated 14-year-old girls to sainthood and men who lie about knowing Jesus to take the church to the Gentiles and insecure 30-year-old American men living in England with really messed up lives into a seven-year journey towards priesthood. God calls us and blesses us as he pleases. He calls us into a life that invites controversy. All Christian living comes with controversy. And we as followers of Christ cannot shy away from that controversy any more than Christ himself did. Sometimes that means being uncomfortable. Sometimes that even means being comfortable being uncomfortable. From that place, God can use us all in amazing and unexpected ways, well beyond anything we could ever dream of or imagine. May God bless us all today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.